So let me pray, and we're looking to God's word today. So, God, we love you. We do, and we honor the Holy Spirit who is among us today, and we pray that we would listen to his voice and no other voice. We pray that you would hear, we would hear what he is telling us to do, to see, to hear, and uh, whatever you ask us to do, uh, Spirit will do that, because you know, we know you will always lead us to life. Let me ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I got a couple questions to start off with. First question is this, why do you come to church? I don't mean like this church, but in general, why do you go to church? Um, is it a check it off my box, I got to get that done, or somehow uh, God keeps track of points? I know nobody thinks that way. Maybe you do. But when do we come? What do we hope is going to happen when we come week after week after week after week to church? That's one question. Second question is this, uh, what's the good, what is the good news? I, I was talking to somebody once tonight, and they said, and the word gospel means good news. And they said, we just got to spread the gospel. But the question is, what is, the, what is the good news? Some people say, well, the good news is Jesus died for your sins, and he wants you to go to heaven after you die. That's a true statement, but according to Jesus, that wasn't the good news he was all about. That's part of what it was. But what is the good news? What's the good news that your neighbors who aren't, don't follow Jesus or your friends or your family members, what's the good news they need to know that Jesus wants them to know? What is it? And again, sometimes it's good to ask kind of these basic questions. Um, then the next one, this is kind of more zeroing in. Uh, what would your life be like if you didn't struggle anymore with blank? You might fill it in with Fear, shame, hopelessness, confusion, lack of forgiveness, anger, sexual compulsion. Anything that we would say isn't really part of the wholehearted life following Jesus. And every one of us, if we're honest, can fill that blank in with one, two, three, or ten things. That what would my life be like if I really didn't struggle with that anymore? Anxiety, depression, whatever. What would it be like? And then the final question of the opening part here is, do you want to get well? It's the question Jesus asked the man who, was, who had been crippled for 38 years at the pool of Siloam. And it's kind of one of those, it, it's definitely one of those seemingly dumb questions Jesus asked. All right, that could be a title of a book. And when he asked this guy who had been lame for 38 years, do you want to get well? And we understand that Jesus wasn't asking him simply about his physical condition, but that he had kind of got to the place where he was used to living that way, and his spirit was used to living that way. Even his, his, his heart was probably to the point where hopeless. So, do you want to get well? Like, do, when you think of the issues in your life or my life, you don't, you don't need to think about my life. I got my own issues to think about, all right? Think about the issues that keep you from being wholehearted follower of Jesus. Do you want to get well? And well, when, when, when Jesus used that word and the other times it shows in the New Testament, it kind of means whole. Do you want to be whole? So this series, which I'm starting new today, I'm just calling it, Do You Want to Get Well?, and the subcontext is Jesus came to restore you. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't, 
He didn't come simply to get you into heaven after you die. If you read the Gospels, that's not his prime focus. It is a, it is a welcome, beautiful byproduct of following him. But Jesus came to make us whole in this life. Not, not well, just hold on till you go to heaven after you die. So do you want to get well? And the subtext in Jesus wants to restore you. That's what he came to do. And it's all going to be around two verses in Luke chapter 4. We'll spend a number of weeks on this. I'm not even sure. I usually, I usually map out a series and I'm, how I'm going to do it. But this one, I just feel like God's like, no, just go a week at a time. So I'm going to figure it out or listen to God a week at a time. Um, so, but Luke chapter 4, there's to believe his mission was. He t- they tell us what he thinks he came to do. And then what do we do if that is his mission? What's, how do we think about that, all right? So Luke chapter 2, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4. And go to the next slide here. So I just did this because sometimes it's a good reminder ourselves this really happened. It wasn't just somewhere in a land far, far away. You know, it's, but in the town of Nazareth, Jesus' childhood home, around 30 A.D. or so, what we read is this. So what had just happened in Luke, and then again, we're going to see this passage a lot in the next few months. What had just happened in Luke was Jesus was just getting ready to start his public ministry, and he had spent 40 days in the desert, no food, no water, being tempted by Satan. So it was kind of his preparation. So he comes out of that, and then it says, he then went to Nazareth's boyhood home, and his habit there, which would be the habit of every Jewish man, woman, or not women, men would go to synagogue and then go to synagogue multiple days a week and they had regular readings and different men would take turns. They'd be asked to read the reading from the scroll that week. So this particular situation is Jesus' turn to read. And I'm going to start with with Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 16, and then I'll get to the main verses. So when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. So we don't know if it was his turn or he just took a turn. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Now it's going to show up on the screen. Put it on the screen now. So this is what he's reading. He's reading this from Isaiah chapter 61. It was his turn to read. This is what he's reading. And this Isaiah chapter 61 was something that every Jewish man, woman, boy, girl knew was talking about the one, the Messiah, who was going to actually turn the world right side up again and change their lives. So they would have known this well and knew what it was talking about. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. He just read that off the scroll. And then it said he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and then he said, this scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, this person is me. And it said all eyes were fixed on him. So it was kind of one of those freeze-frame moments because they knew what he was saying. And then it said they all talked really good about him. This is the rest of chapter 4. I'm paraphrasing a little. They were kind of excited. And then Jesus said, you know, you will say this to me since I'm from Nazareth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. In other words, you're not going to accept what I have to say to you. 
Because we all want the Messiah to say things to us that we want to hear, but Jesus says, I'm going to say things to you that you may not want to hear, but you need to hear. And when he said that, Scripture tells us the people who were just super friendly and excited minutes before says they were furious, and they crowded around him, mobbed around him to the edge of a hill, and they intended to push him off the hill. It's like, well, wait a minute. He just read this about being the Messiah, but then he said, I'm going to end up saying things to you that you will not like. Not because Jesus loves them, but he's, and they were so furious because we all want, as they did, we want the Messiah to tell us all the things we want to hear. We don't want to change anything. We just want our lives to be different, give us more money, more this, more that, make our life easier. So they were furious. We're going to push them off the hill, and then it said Jesus just walked right through them. So we don't know all the dynamics of that. But we're going to focus on this passage right here. And it comes from, again, Isaiah 61, where Jesus was, he was reading this passage to them. And he was saying, this is me. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So this is what Jesus believes his mission is. He believed his mission was good news to the poor, for him captives to be released, blind will see, oppressed set free, time the Lord's favor has come. Now, if you're like me, maybe you're not like me, when I usually read this passage, I think, oh, it's so good that Jesus came for those kind of people. I mean, people that are poor, people that are captive. I mean, you think about people on people along Beeline Trail or people you know that have just a really, really hard time in life. Jesus came for them. The blind will see. The oppressed will be set free. Really good thing that Jesus came for those kind of people. But for some reason, for many years, I never read myself into that passage. Because I'm not one of those kind of people. Neither are you. We have houses. We have cars. We have normal, normal jobs, relatively normal personalities. So it's like we don't really need that. I'm, I'm good. I'm glad Jesus came for them. But I'm good. But <laughs> that's exactly what Jesus was saying when the, when the people got mad at him. I'm, I'm including you in this. It's all of you. We all, we all need this from Jesus. And then what, sometimes when I've, when, this is almost in jest, but sometimes we think this is the mission of Jesus, and I rewrote this passage to fit what I think sometimes we think, or maybe I think sometimes. All right, so this is not what the Bible says. I'm just rewriting it, all right? Imagine, I think Jesus is saying this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to hopefully get you into heaven after you die. He sent me to proclaim that your hearts are dark and wicked, church attendance is very important, and that you need to get in line and learn how to behave. And that God is often not in a good mood toward you. All right? That's, if we're honest, that's somehow we think about God and Jesus. Well, the mission of Jesus was to, he was going to do his best to get us into heaven after we die. And sometimes God's not in a good mood toward me, but... That's not at all what he said. I mean, even the part, the time the Lord's favor has come, you could interpret that by saying God's in a really good mood toward his people and toward you. He wants to see you healed. So, I, I, so this, what we're going to look at over time is all the ways that Jesus can heal us. And we're going to look at different passages of Scripture, different, different stories. Um, and again, the question, go to the next slide there, because all he does put it on the bottom is, do you want to get well? And then you're like, okay, what are we talking about? I'm, as far as I know, I'm not poor or captive or blind or oppressed, but the reality is we all are. 
and the ways Jesus was talking about it. So, again, issues like, you know, do you want to get well? The issues maybe Jesus is talking about would be issues like abandonment, shame, fear, powerlessness, rejection, hopelessness, and confusion, anxiety, anger, and addiction, defensiveness, depression, and despair. I can check off a number of those boxes. So then you might say, as I might have said, and I know people who I love well, not in this church, other places that would say this, oh, so I see. This is going to be all about mental health, psychobabble, and being all emotional. This is all about past trauma, family dysfunction, daddy issues, and mommy issues. Is that what this is all about? Answer, yes. Unless you've never been poor, captive, blind, or oppressed, unless, unless you've never had your soul bruised, broken, or crushed, unless you've never had grief or sorrow, because Isaiah 53, similar to 61, talks about Jesus bears our griefs and our sorrows. So if you haven't had those issues, if you haven't had grief or sorrow, you've never had your heart bruised, broken, or crushed, You've never been captive to any sin. You've never been blind to things in your own life. And you've never been felt oppressed by Satan. Then, then this series you can drop out of and go somewhere else on Sundays. But the reality is this is for all of us. Because salvation means, when Jesus came, salvation, the word salvation literally means to be made whole. So when Jesus healed people, he would make them whole. He would restore them. Salvation has the same sense. It's being made whole again. Rescued from the brokenness of humanity. Rescued from the brokenness of life in the kingdom of darkness. And restored to life in the kingdom of light. The kingdom of God. So do you want to get well? Is the question. Again, we'll look at whether it's Peter and the shame he felt when he denied Jesus. Or the woman who was had a bleeding issue and for years spent all of her money on medical help, could never get help, and hopelessness was a huge part of her life. Or whether there's other stories of disciples, whether there's people in the Old Testament, we're going to look at times where people needed to get well because Jesus wants them to be whole. Jesus is not a mental health professional. He is the one who's going to change your soul. So you might say, and some people might say, well, I mean, if I got, a, got the doctrine all right, I'm good. I got, you know, God created the world. Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, right doctrine is really, really, really important. But right doctrine with an unhealed heart, that's the Pharisees. They had better doctrine than any of us have. But they had unhealed, broken hearts that actually had turned hard because that's what they felt like. We just need to get all this right, and we'll be good. Well, that wasn't the case, right? Now, to help you, and, and maybe some of you are still thinking, I don't know, what, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't have these kind of issues. Um, so here's, here's, here's a couple things I'll prod on. Again, we're going to look at all these different stories throughout the next weeks where people have these kind of issues. So... I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something happened in a situation and I felt misunderstood um, and unfairly treated, right? A normal person, if you would have been had the same experience, if, 
if on the scale of one to ten emotionally, most people would have given it like a five. You know, really frustrated, upset, but okay. I gave it a ten. And a good friend of mine said, said, told me the next day, you're being maniacal. And I was like, I am not. You know, right? But so I thought, wait a minute. Wait. When I look at it, it's like it probably was a five emotionally. Why am I giving it a 10? Where's that extra stuff coming from? Or like, I had a memory come up years ago. And you may sound this, but again, unless you are parented by perfect parents, right? Uh, these issues. I remember the situation where I, I, I was talking to my mom and my dad thought I was mouthing back to her. And the next thing I know, I had a bar of soap in my mouth. You know, think Christmas story. The soap, you know. Because that's what we did. My dad, would, we didn't get it often. But, and, but the thing was, I knew I wasn't mouthing back to my mom. My dad heard just part of it in context. My mom even apologized to me later. But my dad never did, because my mom must have never told my dad. And it's not like I was, like, tra- traumatized by soap poisoning, like the guy in Christmas story. But... I brought that up years ago, and I thought, why, do I, why am I remembering that now? God, what is that memory all about? Well, you don't know me well enough, but if you do, I hate being misunderstood and falsely accused. And if you, false, if you accuse me of something that I didn't do, that I know my heart wasn't there, when the average person gives it a five, I'll give it a ten plus of emotion. And it's because... I and you might, well, is it true? No, I don't know if it goes back to there, but it, I think it likely there's things like that where we have stuff going on. We react in ways, and if you don't know your stuff, ask your family members, your spouse, or your best friends, and they will be happy to tell you your stuff, right? So we all have stuff, and yet Jesus came to, he did come to get us to spend eternity with him. But when you read, when you read scripture, it's like, we need more than that. I need more than that. I think you need more than that. I'm not making any accusation to anybody. So when Jesus says this, he's basically saying, my mission is you. My mission is those issues of anxiety or sexual compulsion or fear or the fact that you mistrust people or maybe you have abandonment issues. So you're, I mean, there's, and what happens with those issues, they become lies we believe about who we are. Like one of the lies I believe is I'm on my own when I know that's not true because Jesus said he's always with me. But some things from my life I kind of come to believe I'm on my own. Or what is it you believe about you? What are some of the things you say in your head to yourself when you make a mistake? I mean, I, so for some reason the thing that plays in my head is I'll tell myself that was stupid. Then I'm like, why did I just say that to myself? Why did this? I'm, and you, again, this, you might say this is psychobabble, blah, blah, blah. The word psychology literally means study of the soul. And if Jesus came to restore our souls, he want, those things matter because those things have bruised us. And so part of being whole, part of being a disciple of Jesus is not simply, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to give my 10%. Those are really important things. But part of it is allowing the spirit of Jesus to help you become whole so you can love others better, which is ultimately what we do. Love others better. And 
just, just last week, Kathy and I, had, she's not here, but I'm telling this story accurately, okay? She's actually in Minnesota with one of our daughters. There was some kind of conversation we were having, and I responded to her, and I said, well, no, I've been ready. And that's how I thought I said it. I've just been ready waiting for you. What she heard was, well, I've been ready. I'm just waiting for you. All right, different tone, right? And I thought, okay, my first assumption was she's just hearing me wrong. Or then I finally said to her, it's just a misunderstanding. We just need, and then I finally got to the point where I thought, oh, maybe I did say it with a tone. Why did I do that? Where's the tone coming from? It's, those of you who are married are elbowing your spouse right now. You know, that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Where's the tone coming from? Because my words said one thing, and I think even my heart was saying what I wanted my words to say, but somehow when it came out, there was a motion to it that didn't fit. So those are the kind of things that might be check engine lights for you. Because if you want to be whole, because ultimately what we want to be, we want, we want to be people who embody fruits of the Spirit from Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And unless you score 100% on all of those, then there's probably something in that list, fruit of the Holy Spirit in you, which means the Holy Spirit may not be totally in control of your life because there's stuff that you either don't want to admit or you've long ago closed it off in the closet of your heart and you just want to forget about it. And what's past is past, is what we say. No, what's past is still there unless you put light on it. And all these things can be wrapped around the big word of forgiveness because sometimes there are issues that are like because we can't forgive somebody, can't forgive a certain situation. And forgiveness becomes a huge spiritual block for those fruit of the Spirit to be in your lives. So, like I said, the next number of weeks we'll be always having this up here and trying to understand what did he mean by all this? He's not just talking about those poor people by the pool of Siloam and poor Bartimaeus who's blind and the poor woman who uh, spent all of her money on medical help and couldn't get healed. We're going to look at those, but not look at those as people who we say, those poor people on the margin. I'm glad Jesus came to make their lives better. We're going to look at those, and we're going to be the woman who was hopeless because she tried everything and things weren't changing. We're going to be Peter who... Peter had a lot of issues. We could do a whole series on Peter's issues, right? But when Peter is so ashamed that he denied Jesus and how the power of shame is overwhelming in some of our lives. So we're going to look at other times where people were afraid or had anxiety and things. And what does God, how does God heal when those things happen? You know, the Bible says, don't be anxious, but, you know, by everything, by prayer and supplication. Well, that's an easy thing to throw at you. The Bible says not to be anxious, but you're like, I know what the Bible says. I just don't know how to not be anxious. And so, too long, I think, what the church has been honoring, I relegated this off to what I'll just call secular, non-God-honoring psychotherapy. I'm, I'm, I'm not against therapy. I, I've actually seen a therapist on and off, and some of you might think, well, good, thanks, finally, Matt, thank you. But no, I'm not, but there's a, there's a combination of wise therapy where people can help you open up things and spiritual healing. And those two have to kind of go hand in hand. If you just are going to rely on this and not the Holy Spirit doing something. But the flip side is sometimes we have this hope of what somebody calls one and done prayer. Well, they prayed for me. 
for a half hour. I thought I'd be done with all these issues. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't always work that way. It's wise interaction with people who love you, whether it's a therapist or just someone who loves you and can know you. It's, it's both those. Because when Jesus said that's what he came to do, I'd like to believe that's what he came to do. To set me free from issues that I can't seem to shake out of. To help me see things that I've been blind to. And times where I've been so poor in spirit and believe a, a scarcity mentality about life. Jesus came to do that for me. Yes, he came to forgive our sins. But sometimes it becomes just a big phrase. And it's like, no, we, got, we have to figure out what's, what, what's he doing. So my, my hope over the next few weeks as we look in some of these um, is that we all grow. Um, we all we all see things and if you're like me, sometimes you don't want to see things. I don't want, I mean, nobody's going to be pointing things at you. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate things in all of our lives that, that, to us individually that he wants us to kind of go there. You know, right? Whether it's a memory, whether it's just an issue that if you're honest, you know, you know exactly how you fill in that blank from that third slide this morning. I, I wish I could not stop struggling with this. Because Jesus didn't mean for us to live our lives just holding on with all this stuff, knowing we're going to go to heaven after we die, but that he said, I came to give you life and life to the full. He wasn't saying, I came to give you life after heaven when you die, or in heaven. He said, no, I came to give you full life, which means peace and joy should be central to who you are. But if you're like me, if we're honest, that's not central who we are. We want it to be. We know it should be. We feel bad that it's not. So, I'll finish with this, and we're going to go into a, go to the next slide, but let me, actually, before I do this, we're actually going to read later on just a, a part of a prayer of confession from Psalm 39, 139, but leave it on here for right now, John. One of the things the psalmist prayers is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me, and that word could also be disquieting, unnerving, hurtful. Like, why do I say that to my wife that way? That's one of those offensive, okay, Spirit, you search me and find those places of deep anxiety and find those places where I'm, I, I hurt people without even knowing it. And then show me. That's the prayer. So this is not about us taking assessments. It's more about you being able to listen to Holy Spirit. Like, how is he going to show me those things and to me, it's, the most, it's a very scary prayer because sometimes he might show you things that you'd rather not remember. Um, it's scary for me, those kind, but it's life-giving in the end, all right? So Jesus said this, just a reminder. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, which that's what his objective has been in all of our lives. Steal, kill, and destroy. Mainly your heart, steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come. They may have life and have it to the full. Complete, full, whole. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be full? Do you want to be complete? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be full of the love of the Holy Spirit in all your relationships? Do you want to be full of the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. Do you want to be full of those things? And it doesn't just happen magically. It happens supernaturally. But it doesn't happen without your consent with the Holy Spirit. You can't. It's not just going to. He's not just going to. 
I used to think, well, once, you know, you come out of the bat, I mean, I didn't really think this, but I think I acted this way. You get baptized, once you come out of the baptismal waters, you're changed. You are, because now you house a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, but the change comes in letting him have say in how you grow. But if you think when you got baptized or prayed to receive Christ or whatever, that all of a sudden you're, you are a new creation, but you're not a completed creation. So somewhere along the journey, we become completed creations, or at least get to that point, close to that point. Nobody in this life will. So uh, let me just pray. Close your eyes. God, I'm going to pray right now um, for each one of us, self-included. I pray that um, you would search our hearts, not for the sake of bringing back sadness or anger or disappointment from our lives, but for the sake of setting us free so we can be fully alive with the Holy Spirit in us. So our relationships will be marked by love, joy, and peace. And our our lives will be absent of the painful anxieties and addictions we often give ourselves to because we want to be full of your Holy Spirit. So, Jesus, we're grateful that you came to make us whole. And you came to live with you because you want us to live with you. Give sins, but part of forgiving is making us whole again. So, Jesus, we're grateful that you gave your body, you gave yourself up for torture so that these things could be accomplished in us, so that a whole other world will open up in our souls and your spirit can, be, can dwell in us. And uh, you did all these things for our freedom. You did all these things for our joy and our peace. We love you, and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.